Hey everyone, welcome to Rosenberg Interviews. I'm Peter Rosenberg, and um, very cool episode that I have to tell you about real quick because I have a caveat. Super interesting, met this dude on a plane last week going to Minneapolis for WWE, noticed he had these things in his hand, couldn't quite tell what it was. He told me they were his legs, okay? Um, his prosthetic legs. His name is Logan Farr. Very interesting story about him losing, him figuring things out in life because of it, his journey back to finding his life, and all of this stuff happening, this entire journey of his, starting back on his birthday when he was just 21 years old. So yes, this is a random interview that I did with the gentleman on the plane who I sat next to. The annoying part, I lost the audio from my mic channel. So I'm quiet in this whole episode, and he sounds loud and clear. Do we really need to hear me be loud and clear? You get plenty of me. Um, tell me what you think. I hope you love it. I thought it was a really cool, interesting story. Rosenberg Radio, Twitter, reach out to me. Uh, make sure, please, if you're listening, that you go comment and rate and do all that on iTunes. It really means a lot. Going to drop the dig in a Minneapolis um, joint in a day or two. But for right now, here's my interview with Logan Farr. I started out asking him, when the accident happened, that changed his life. Rosenberg. 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 Uh, since I was my 21st birthday. So, but, yeah, my turn 24 next month. It's my three-year anniversary next month. Okay. So take us through where you were in your life around the time of the accident. Okay, so uh, I just got home from my deployment. Uh, I was an Air Force firefighter. When I say deployment and being in the Air Force, most veterans will get this. It was an Air Force deployment, so it was super hard. I mean, the pool would get sand in it, so I couldn't swim. Uh, uh, the Wi-Fi would go out. Uh, the, that was the cable. It actually wasn't that bad. I could watch the fights sometimes, so that was pretty nice. All right. So, so, so you know, in seriousness, an Air Force deployment isn't a difficult deployment? Uh, Do you want something not to too bad. No, I'm good. Sure? Good. Oh, yeah, I'm good. No, I'm cool. Thank you. Um, so where and where were you? Al Dafra, United Arab Emirates. Oh, you were in UAE, and, and where are you from originally? Wisconsin. You're from Wisconsin, which is why you're on the flight right now back to Minneapolis oh, yeah. to get to Wisconsin. Oh yeah. So you were back from your deployment. Mm -hmm. I got back uh, two days later. I went out with all my. Were you done? Was, that, was this the end of your? No, we just got home. And you were going to go back again? Yeah. So I literally, uh, so the crappy part about being where I was, we were low man. So actually the first day I got back, I got off the plane on the runway, had to go right to my base and work a 24 hour shift before I could even go home, change clothes or anything. I had to work a 24 hour shift, I was a firefighter. And so I got off my shift, I went to, uh, I was gonna sell my car anyway, so I went to the dealership, sold my car, bought a truck I'd been eyeing for a long time. Uh, didn't, spend, didn't spend a lot of money, just one of those things, I needed a truck, I needed one, so I sold my car, got it, drove it home, my sergeants called me up, they're like, hey, let's go out for your 21st. I'm like, okay, let's do it. We went out, and uh, the bar we were at, uh, I, I don't... What was the I want to say, I don't even remember. It was like the... What was it? I honestly don't even remember. All right, so and what kind of scene was it? I don't remember going out, so I have oh, no... Oh, that's idea. right. You don't even, and this wasn't a regular place for you. No, I, like, I, I'd never been there before. Because otherwise it would be easy. Like, oh, we went to gyms. I always go to gyms. Exactly. But that wasn't the case. You went yeah. to a random place. Exactly, yeah. and, and at this point, do you not... Is the rest of what you're going to tell us what you've been told? What I've been told, yes. So and, so we're already at the point, once you head out... Yeah, I know. Uh, you don't know anything. This I know nothing. In fact, they could all be lying to you. Exactly, yeah. could be completely fraudulent. <laughs> exactly. It could be, it could be completely fabricated. I have no idea. Okay, so what have they told you happened? 
So I was told, uh, my, actually the, the crazy part is none of my buddies who were with me, they didn't find out I was in the hospital till the next night after like my wife was already there and everything. So what happened was I went out with my sergeants uh, behind the bar we were at, there's a platform that overlooks the train tracks and there's no railings or anything and they think I went outside to go get some air and they think I must have tripped on the way up and it hit my head in the railing. Have they told you that you were pretty drunk before this happened? Yeah, I had a blood alcohol level of 0.32, oh, so you I think. were pretty wasted. Oh, no, I was probably, yeah, yeah. But that being said, you told me off the air that you're from the Midwest, you yeah. are a drinker, so yeah. being that drunk isn't a shocking occurrence? Like, you're yeah. someone you could hold your alcohol generally? Yeah, I've, I mean, I mean <laughs> being from the Midwest, I've, I've been known to drink. And you're a big guy. You start yeah. To, you're 6'4", 230. Yeah. And so, like, it's one of those things where I, I know I can handle myself. And it was a 21st birthday, so obviously you're going to get a little drunker than you normally do. And so we figured that was going to happen. I figured I was going to be with uh, people where I'd be taken care of, and which I was until I, when I drink, I tend to wander. So that's my biggest issue. That's that's where this thing kind of started. And so yeah, I must have tripped. Uh, must have tripped on the way up. Hit my head. The back of my head was split open when they found me. But uh, I must have rolled off the platform. The train came by, hit my left leg, uh, pulled my left foot off. My right leg apparently got caught on something, and it dragged about 100 yards down the train track. And actually, a, a vagabond found me, a homeless dude. Uh, they said what happened was that when they got there, he, was, he found me, he was holding me, apparently, and he was yelling for the someone to come call the police. And that's, I don't remember any of this. They said some guy was holding me. They said he was a vagabond and never got to thank him, nothing like that. It was He was gone. I don't know who he was after that. He wasn't he like was, a, Yeah. Wow. Some, some homeless dude. <laughs> so this is just what you, you get told. Yeah. Um, so let's fast forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. To, so you can actually tell the story yeah. of what the first thing you remember is from this whole thing. You mm-hmm. wake up in the hospital? Yeah, I wake up. Uh, I see my girlfriend at the time, my wife now. A mother and a child now? Yeah, mother and mother. Thank you very much. Yeah, four months. I'm very excited. I actually haven't seen him in five weeks. Oh, my God, really? Yeah. Oh, so you're freaking out right now. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited to be back home. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, I saw her, and you can tell she'd, be, she'd been crying, all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't remember the. I don't remember what was said. I just remember waking up and be like, "What the hell happened?" And they had to explain to me that I got hit by a train. And I'm looking around like, I see my my legs are all bandaged up. I can see my left foot's completely gone, and I can see I have a lump. I can see I have about a quarter of my right foot still there, but it's all band. I can just see like a, it looks like a looks like a nine iron. So I was like, "Okay, something's under there." Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so, uh, what's the, your initial reaction? what you felt when you saw like I have parts of my body missing I, the weirdest thing is I remember being very I remember feeling I don't remember how I reacted I remember feeling very calm like I just had, I had a wave of calm watch because I knew in my head if I freaked out now it would freak her out she would lose it I would lose it and it would just wouldn't be good for anyone were you in immense pain no I was on morphine Vicodin yeah, yeah. So, so I guess that I wonder if subconsciously when you're awake, you're alive. Yeah. You're looking around. Everything else looks normal. Right? Yeah. Um, you see someone you love, so that's mm. comforting. I'm yeah. To think of what, how, the human mind would mm. be able to not freak out in that setting. Yeah. Well, and so I will put the caveat in there. Later on, finding out, talking to my wife, that apparently that wasn't the first time I woke up. Apparently, I'd woken up early and had like I'd, I'd gotten angry because apparently I was still I was still under the influence. I was just they were pumping everything out of my system. Apparently, I'd woken up very angry. I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. I, and I couldn't understand what was happening. But you have no recollection. No of recollection of that. They're like, yeah, you were, you were yelling at people. 
because apparently, which is my favorite thing, uh, apparently my uh, deputy came in. A deputy, he was a senior master sergeant. I was a lowly uh, senior airman. And so this guy, he was not a good dude, came in and apparently starts riding my butt. This is, I had apparently just woken up. Like, I don't remember any of this. Apparently, I had started cursing this individual out. Your wife was there for this? Yeah, my wife and then my chief and everyone was there for this. Apparently, I chewed out someone I could have gotten in a lot of trouble for because he came in chewing my butt, asking what I was doing like 20 minutes after this had all gone down. I don't know. They, uh, they all, everyone just had a good laugh about it besides him afterwards. Like, yeah, you, you told him it was what's up. And he left kind of white-faced and like, oh. Wow, so, so proud of your oblivious, halfway wasted, drugged out <laughs> yeah. version of you. You actually exactly. did the right thing. Exactly. And then, uh, but apparently, so apparently I did freak out when I first woke up. But when I actually remember, uh, my biggest thing is I've always known, I've always been very conscious of how I affect others. And so even if it is a good or bad way, I like to annoy people. My, my wife will tell you the same thing. I, I'm a needler. I enjoy uh, poking fun of people. But uh, but you were also aware of how freaking out would have... Exactly. Exacerbated, yeah. It, was, it, was, it wouldn't have been good for anyone. And so I remember just being weirdly calm and then just trying to figure out what I was doing. Because prior to this, I'd had aspirations of going higher in the uh, Air Force than I, pre than I was. And so I'd been training for a long time to get, to be able to do what I wanted to do. And in an instant, wake up and realize this thing I just put three and a half years into training wise, I'm not gonna be able to do it anymore. Or not even gonna be able to attempt it. And I knew in that moment, it's like, okay, if I, if I keep going down this path, if I keep thinking like, okay, I'm not gonna be able to do this, I will break and I don't know what will happen. And so at that moment, I made a conscious effort of what Logan, what's your goal? What are you doing? I said, okay, just, I remember my buddy Bobby Norman uh, when I was deployed. He introduced me to CrossFit, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do CrossFit. That's it was it was you this right away. Yeah, this was knee jerk reaction. I was like, I need something hard. I'm like, I'm gonna do CrossFit. It was like it was just like a reaching for something. And of course, it took me a few days because uh, I was in and out of surgery. They had to remove the rest of the right leg, clean up the left leg, uh, make okay, sure. So when you say remove the rest of the right leg, it did just. Oh yeah, I should say the rest of the right foot. So basically, I have my full tibia and fibia, but nothing, uh, anything below that's gone. And so now with both legs, they're the exact same at this point. Yeah, I think the right's maybe a quarter inch longer. But so basically, you just have no feet. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the first things you told me when we started this conversation, which I found found very amusing, was that basically in the amputee world, they basically consider you a bitch. Yeah. I mean, they're not impressed by oh, you yeah. having no nope. feet. Nope. Uh, what do they, you said they call you? Paper uh, cut? Paper cut, yeah. I'm called the paper cut. <laughs> just like having no feet is weak sauce. Like exactly. Who, who has full legs? Like what do you even know? Exactly. And, and which I thought was very amusing because it obviously shows that the people that you have gotten to interact with are people who have been through incredibly mm -hmm. harrowing experiences. So how long are you in the hospital for? I think a month and a half, two months. I don't remember. Like I said, that whole time was a blur for me. So, I mean, I think it was a month and a half, two months. I got out. And I remember they told me to take it easy. And I remember the first day I got home, my, my, so my mom had flown out two days after, or maybe a day after my accident. Like she heard about it and flew out. She looked, yeah, she looked horrible, but she was there by myself, her and my wife. Uh, they were there and they brought me home, wheeled me home. We were trying to figure out how to do this because our home was not handicap accessible. We lived in, lived in the ghetto of Sacramento. So it wasn't exactly the nicest area. Wow. And no 
I mentioned the Diaz brothers earlier. You yeah. Like the Diaz brothers. Yeah. The same neck of the woods. Where are the Diaz brothers from? Modesto or something? Uh, Stockton. Stockton. Oh yeah, Stockton. The same armpit of California <laughs> in some regard. I would not let. I would not say that around them. No, I certainly, <laughs> I certainly not. Uh, and then I'm sure there are parts of Sacramento that are nice, but these are all the places that are not regarded for having a lot to do in the same ways of Southern California. Exactly. Uh, Southern and Northern California. Oh sort yeah. Sort of stuck in the middle. But anyway, so you guys are not equipped for this. No. Obviously, you've never been thinking about yeah. having a handicap equipped home. Yeah. And just this is a testament to my wife. Uh, I remember this, like I said. Time is old. Is she your age? Yeah, she's a year old. She got yeah, my so age. She's like 21 years old. 22 yeah, years old. Yeah. So no idea. We had no idea we got ourselves into. And uh, first day we're home. We're back to our joking selves. We're having fun. She sprays me with a water bottle, and I'm in a wheelchair. So like, uh, I get. I'm, I'm trying to roll to the kitchen real quick to spray her with another one. And her having knee jerk, she grabs back my wheelchair. I'm probably going 10 miles an hour, like flying. She grabs it and stops, and I fly out of my wheel. This is. I am just getting home from that. My, like, I still have stitches in my stumps. There, I shouldn't be touching anything. I'm all drugged up. I fly them and land on both my stumps in the kitchen floor. I lay there screaming. How the, bad is the agony for that? that horrendous. Horrendous. Like you, you said something to me earlier that relates to this that I don't know as someone who has no experience with, with this, um, yeah. which I'm thankful for. That for people who have stumps who have lost limbs and uh, or half a limb or whatever it yeah. the, the stump itself is so by the way that's not like an offensive term to use is it? Some people get offended. I mean, stuff. I, I, I had a hunch. What do people who are not amputees? What should I be saying? Honestly, it doesn't matter. Stumps, nubs. No, I know, but hold on. But you have words that you're not. You're someone who's very loose with your language. Yeah. So what would what would someone who's very sensitive prefer me to say? Residual limb. Okay. Residual limb. Yeah, that's. I can understand why that frustrates you because that is a long thing. To exactly. Say it's like time. it's like no. It's like nub stump is way easier. Okay. So you're essentially someone who has had an amputation. That place of amputation is a is a painful to the point that if you if, if someone who's had an amputation sees that affected, yeah. it hurts to even see. Yeah. Like people wince because it hurts so bad. Exactly. So the idea now, looking back, you flying out of a wheelchair two months removed and landing yeah. where you, the amputation happened yeah. is incredibly painful. Oh yeah. Because it was a knee jerk. It was like okay, I need to land on my feet. And your wife it, probably must have freaked out to see you screaming in pain. Her mom laughed at me. Yeah, they their their first reaction was laughing, because like yeah, this dickhead deserves it right now. <laughs> and yeah, they laughed. And then once again, this is a test with them. They kept me honest. That was the biggest thing is they were massive helps. Were they able to pick you up and get you back in the chair? Yeah, the wife. I crawled over and the wife helped me up. And uh, after laughing at me. Of course, any good wife is able. Oh, to exactly. And so with all this stuff, so uh, I had to go to do its hyperbaric treatments. I had to do that for a month. So it's two hours, two hour sessions twice a day to... Unpleasant or is that pleasant? No, it wasn't. I mean, if you're claustrophobic, it's unpleasant because you're in this... You're in a little tube. I mean, you're in basically in just a little tube. It's You get just put in this... It's this plexiglass tube. Maybe I think it's plexiglass tube. It's only as long as your body... Is it clear or no? It's like a, it's like a casket. Yeah, it's, it's like a casket. You can see out of it. Yeah, you can see out of it. That must help a little but, bit. It's a 10-minute process getting in and out of it because they have, even if, if, if something goes wrong, it's a 10-minute process getting you out of it because they have to depressurize it and get you out because they can't open it right away because if any kind of spark, well, it's pure oxygen there, so it'll light on fire and just wouldn't be, wouldn't be good for anyone involved. And what is the point of this? And so the oxygen-enriched oxygen air apparently helps the red blood cells, helps everything heal a lot faster. And so they were assuming with my left leg being, being how it was, they thought it would help it heal a little bit quicker so they wouldn't have to amputate higher. 
because originally they thought they were going to have to go uh, about halfway up my shin, maybe even an AK, which is above me. Above me, so that means it would take the entire lower part of your leg. Exactly. And this stuff all worked. Yeah. So you only lost your feet. Exactly. So and that's what I'm saying. I went. I did the hyperbaric chambers, uh, hyperbaric ch uh, chamber treatments. Went back to the hospital, and they told me like, "Hey, we're going to have to amputate your leg higher." Like they did. They like did not think it worked. And now, do you resist that right away? And you're like, "Hell no, I'm not losing the rest of my." No, it's once again that moment of calm. Like, okay, let's do this. Whatever it is. Exactly, because I'm. I don't know. I don't know. On my mom, my dad, just being around the people I was, just seeing how people react under pressure. I just always get very calm when something like that happens. It's. I'm good under pressure. I've known I've always been good under pressure in that aspect. Is I just get, does that mean you're also calm in situations that are not a big deal, or if it's something small, you can act like a little erratic? Are you ever erratic? Oh uh, yes, and, and small like my everyday life, I'm super erratic. So it's not it's not that you're saying you're calm all the time. No, not at all. It's that you happen to have this good trait of when something really serious. And by the way, more people have this than they realize. Yeah. Because God willing, you don't have to experience it very mm -hmm. often. Exactly. And when it goes down. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when when that, when that moment in life goes down, that's mm -hmm. like, okay, this is not supposed to happen. Yeah. You'll be shocked. I think people would be shocked, and I'm sure you've heard these stories from the people you've gotten to meet. Yeah. It's amazing what humans are capable of when the worst things monsters. Happen. They're and I say monsters in the nicest way. When I say right. monsters, I mean they're beasts. Like, beasts. They're amazing. And like, I I think I'm not I'm not a religious person at all. I think whatever's out there every day for what happened to me because I would have not some, met some of my best friends and some of the best people who have changed my life so much for the better if this would not have happened to me. I've met the coolest people, the nicest people, the most generous, just people who want to help everyone get so much better. It's amazing to be around. How long did it take for them to give you a prosthetic? Eight months. So for eight months, you just have to avoid you're in a chair. Yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in this janky wheelchair. I was in this janky uh, hospital wheelchair for about... It wasn't even high tech. Like, no, it was, cool. it was literally... like I, I got it at Goodwill for like 20 bucks. Oh, damn. Yeah. You don't have like dope remote No. Uh-uh. So that, that for the first, I think I want to say four months I was in that. And then eventually I did get into a nicer wheelchair. It was, a, it was like a tie light or something. It's super light. It's high, it was super nice. And it made things a lot easier. shape at this point? Yeah, I was in a I was in a different good shape. I was uh, running about three to four miles a day, swimming about three miles a day, doing I mean thousands of push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups. So you were in great shape. Yeah, it was it was endurance shape. Uh, for the for Are the. Are you more jacked now than you were then? Oh yeah, I was 150 pounds. You were that much smaller. Yeah. Even and well, because you were doing so much cardio. Exactly. And then the only um, bodybuilding stuff you were doing was, was body weight stuff. Exactly. Et cetera. Exactly. But you must have had really strong shoulders, arms, chest, yeah. et cetera. It was I was I was strong for my size. I did a lot of jujitsu, all that kind of fun stuff. I did that over at uh, I think it's Ulta. Uh, what's Uriah Faber's place? Uh, Ultimate Fitness. Okay. I was over there a lot, and so I, I had good strength just from training with with over there. I should I should say to the audience listening right now, um, we're sitting in the first row, cheap seats on the plane. Which are nice seats. The, the, yeah. the nice extended room. <laughs> right, you can see first class. Put the curtains up. We can't. Low life's like us. You can't get in. Um, if you're a wrestling fan, I believe. That you look like uh, Bo Dallas, uh, <laughs> WWE. I don't know uh, if that's a compliment. It, it's not bad. I'm a huge Bo fan. Um, sizable beard, but you're a big dude, like tall and thick, like a jacked-up dude. Uh, not with the, um, not the, uh, no body fat, completely yeah. ripped look, mm -hmm. but the really solid, uh, you know, um, just built look. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. 
in seeing you where you look now mm -hmm. to picture you at 80 pounds less. Yeah. So you added a lot of muscle mass yeah. over time. Yeah. So, okay, going back to then, you're 150 pounds, you're getting around in a wheelchair, mm -hmm. a janky wheelchair. Yeah. Was it frustrating using that day to day, or were you mostly just happy to be alive and have everything okay? I was, I got great parking spots. <laughs> there you go. Uh, actually, like I, tell, like I tell my wife, my mom last about this, I had never got hit on more in my life than when I was in my wheelchair. Like I'd be with my mom and with my fiance. I think at that point it was my fiance. And girl, like it was the weirdest thing. Like girls would talk. Like it was the, like I was like, no, this is my fiance right here. Like I'm, I'm good. Like they'd approach, like, hey, you want to go out to dinner tonight, or you want to do that? Like pity party me. Did they think that like your wife was maybe your caretaker or something? I have no idea what they thought. I, I would tell them it was my fiance, and they would still be like, oh. So, so. what did you learn about? Given that, which I'm not surprised by, because you're a good-looking dude and you're in a wheelchair, so that combination is an interesting one because I think people are used to thinking wheelchair pity. Yeah. They're not thinking wheelchair relatively strapping, good-looking guy. Even mm -hmm. the thinner version of yourself, yeah. you're in good shape, you're a military guy, etc. So I can see how that works out. But I'm curious, by getting to be, you live an interesting world, which we'll get more into about. You have a physical situation mm -hmm. in theory you're disabled do you yeah. still get a wheel, do you still get the sticker on the car yeah i'll use that i use the hell out of that oh yeah but ultimately these days <laughs> you have very little impact yeah that you have to deal with it no one really needs to feel sorry for yeah. you on a day-to-day -day basis yeah so i'm curious about what you learned about the world getting viewed as someone in a wheelchair what that experience was like did you did it make you realize that the world is a better place or a worse place the human spirit is inherently kind what did you learn from that I learned the world is a big old pity party when it comes to that. Like my, one of my uh, good buddy Jason, uh, he owns a gym, old, old Glory Barbell. His biggest thing is he hates people calls us inspirations. He'll be walking to the, he'll be walking home from the grocery store with three bags in each hand, and a lady will come up to him, "You're an inspiration, sir. He's missing a leg." He's like, "For what? For coming out of the house because I'm missing a leg? Like, what, what do you expect us to do? Sitting there and hide?" But it's, uh, that's uh, people pity us, and which I don't truly understand because most of the people I know who are in my group of friends, we're the sickest people wherever you're ever going to meet because we're constantly cracking jokes. Like my buddy Kevin Ogar, he's in a wheelchair. He's, he's one of the biggest monsters I know. I remember the first time I met him, I was in a wheelchair. He tried dumping me on my wheelchair because that's what he does. He's a big boy. He sees another guy in a wheelchair. He's going to try and flip you out of your wheelchair. Yeah, it's... it's no, you, you, you say that to someone who's not remotely a part of this and it sounds nuts. And I think here's what, here's what I think it is. I think I just figured this out in 10 seconds. Very, very person. Here's what it is. The same thing that I just said about the average human doesn't know what strength humans have. Mm -hmm. You do know. Yeah. So to you, it's not special. Mm -hmm. Because you not only did you see with your situation what you and your and your wife were capable of, yeah. you saw these other people who dealt with so much worse. Exactly. So to you, you're like, what are you guys talking about? Mm -hmm. You don't know how strong we are. To people who have never been through anything. Mm -hmm. For example, about tragic situations. I think about my wife who lost her brother when he was yeah. 18 years old. A lot of my listeners have heard the story. When, when we lost Spencer, and really she lost Spencer, mm -hmm. I saw how people reacted. Um, as the years have went on, it was six years ago, uh, May, May 15, 2011. So it'll be seven years coming up in May. And the most common thing you heard about was less about, somewhat about my wife, but more about her parents. Mm -hmm. How do they live? Yeah. How do they live? Everyone told me this over and over again. Mm -hmm. By the way, this is natural. And I'm sure now that you have a child, you can relate to it mm -hmm. on some level. I wouldn't be able to live anymore. A 
I'm sorry, my life will be over. I, I could not bury my child. Yeah. I'm sure people listening right now are thinking the same thing. It's an awful thought to have. Mm -hmm. And I get it. And I, you're totally, your love for your child is right. So in feeling that, you are right. Mm -hmm. However, from watching my in-laws go through it, no, you carry on. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible. And once you do that, once you, once you have to go through it, and I'm not trying to compare your situation, because with all due respect, who gives a shit about your feet compared to losing your child? Yeah, right? I'm not complaining. And so, but so on a different level, mm -hmm. you're able to get up and keep going. But for the average person in society who has had a fortunate life mm -hmm. and didn't go through the ultimate tragedy, they don't understand where that strength comes from because fortunately, people like myself who God really haven't been through the worst, we didn't have to tap into that part of our brain yet. So I think inherently it's pity because they go, if I didn't have feet, when that happened, I would just sit home crying all day. Yeah. If I lost my child, I would never leave the house again. They don't understand, I think, that that you do, mm -hmm. and, and you get it because you've already went through something yeah. that was incredibly challenging. Sorry, that was an incredibly wordy explanation, but it just it just came to me. But that's a, that's pretty. That's honestly very right. You don't realize how strong you are until you're pushed to your limit. So they don't mean to be. People don't mean to look like that. And listen, yeah. I try when I meet people who clearly have a physical ailment. I always have tried to just be super normal. Yeah. But even in trying to be normal, I'm probably putting in more effort than I would for someone else, right? Nah, nah. So they probably see through that too. Exactly. That's the biggest thing. So uh, people who are super, super nice and annoys the hell out of me. It's like, no, just talk. Like, no, no. If you're gonna say something, just say it. Like, that was my approach when we met. No, you were no, you were you were blunt about. It. I liked it. You asked questions. A lot of people they'll just stare or they. I have very good peripherals, so people will do this. They'll they'll see real quick. They'll look away. And then right when they think they're by my side, they'll look down real quick and they'll try and stare. Well, what do they notice? Because for people listening, and I'll, I'll post a picture, of, I can post a picture of your yeah. prosthetic. Um, you wouldn't notice because you have a prosthetic that goes up your pant leg, connected into a sh an Under Armour sneaker. Yeah. Which, by the way, we'll talk about that because I'm not a big Under Armour sneaker. That's neither here nor there. And the only thing you can notice is like there's the, the sort of like cool Total Recall part at the bottom yeah. that makes you look like half. <laughs> like Mega Man or something. Yeah. But besides that, you couldn't really notice. So what oh, yeah. you notice, or is it you're running ones that have the um, the boomerang joint at the bottom, like the sort of curved thing no, at the bottom? So I wear these all the time, but the main thing is I almost, the only time I really wear pants when I travel, just because it's so much easier. Because when I travel, I like reading my books, I like listening to my podcasts, listening to my music, I like being left alone. Or, or completely interviewed the entire time you're trying to travel. Well, no, that's, that's, if I have good people to talk to, there's a difference. But a lot of times, the questions are, they get really personal and there's no other reason than they want to hear a good war story and why I don't have it. Do you, uh, do you ever make one up? <laughs> I've been told to do that, but no. Like, I have a buddy who... You feel bad? You feel uh, bad start lying to them? And yeah, like, ugh. Well, when I, was in, when I was in NAM, what happened was... Exactly. Like, I, I've always wanted to make up a crazy story. Like, I have a buddy, he always tells people, he he got injured overseas, he tells people he got, hit, he got a bit by a transvestite hooker. And that's how he... And he actually lost his in war and he tells everyone he, got, he lost by a transvestite hooker. <laughs> And he, and he messes with people like that, and I love it. That's awesome. But I'm like, yeah, I'm like you, you got bigger balls than me, dude. So, so what do they notice? Do they see just the uh, bolts on the bottom? No, so uh, I'm, I'm normally in gym shorts. Like I said, I, I'm oh, a... Oh, you're normally in gym shorts, yeah. so they see the whole thing. Exactly. So they, they see the stickers, they see the pipe, they see all this stuff. And they think they're being sneaky. I'm like, just ask. Like, kids are my favorite. They'll, they, they come up, they're like, hey, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I'm like, hey, well, I have fake... Like, why do you have fake... Like, I got hit by a train. How'd you get by a train? I was stupid. And like, oh, okay. That's cool. And they're very honest. What I, they, what I hate to see is when a kid goes ask and the parent rips them away from him. He says, you don't, you don't talk to people like that. You don't, you don't ask people like that. And all you're doing is you're enforcing negative stereotypes. 
let your kid ask what your kid just is curious let him him or her do whatever they're gonna do and it's so refreshing because all you're doing is make it, that person is different we're, yeah we're we obviously have some aspect of us is different so what's the ideal experience if, if you're wearing shorts it's obvious you can see that you're wearing prosthetics and Joe Blow bumps into you and notices it and has the normal human reaction of what's going on. Mm. What's the number one thing you'd rather do? Is it have them quickly look away and just ignore it? Yeah. Is it straight up ask you like, hey dude, what happened to your legs? Mm. What, what, what would be your number one preference? Honestly, I'd rather have them just ask. 100% just because I know they're forcing it if they don't want to ask. I know, I'm a curious person by nature and I know they want to ask a question. I'd rather have you ask like, hey, what, I'm not gonna say this is a caveat. Most amputees and people like my sister are not like that. I enjoy talking. They don't like being asked. I would say they enjoy being left alone about it. I'd say it's a big part of just every day. It's an everyday thing to them. It's not new. It's not different. It's just a thing, and that's all it is. Is a thing. With myself, I enjoy educating people. Just trying to make everyone a little bit more. Okay, yeah, they're gonna ask a question. They're really a little more normal around it. If they see it a little more, they're gonna act a little more normal, and then eventually they just forget about it, and then. Yeah. Do you get legitimate? Now, we joked about people calling you paper cut. Yeah. But do you also, in your circles, because people talk about uh, the competitions and things you do, um, do you also get legitimate hate from some people in in the disabled community because you're only missing feet and you compete in things and things of that nature that they're like, man, you're not even really disabled? No, no, not, not in the disabled community. I mean, they're all, they're all super supportive. Everyone, it's very, very a close-knit circle. Okay, got it. They don't have... Because, like, in any group you're in, yeah, you know, there are there are biracial people who aren't accepted in the black. Exactly, community. yeah. There are people like me who, if I met Orthodox Jews, would be like, dude, you're not really Jewish. You don't even mm -hmm. listen to God. So I'm just curious whether you get. So you don't get that. Every no, not at all. In, you're all in. Exactly. Unless you're like missing a pink. I've had people come like, yeah, we're the same. They're missing a pinky. And I'm that like, you're not. I'm like, I'm gonna fight you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go real quick. Let's get into it. What is the line of for you to consider someone actually there's something like you're down? What do you think that line? A full hand? Four or more fingers. Four or more fingers. If you have a if you have just a palm, there yeah, you're obviously you're, if you have a, just a thumb, that's odd. If you're what missing, about Jason Pierre-Paul from the Giants? No way. He's only missing like a finger and a half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. He can still play in the NFL. Exactly. Yeah, he's fine. Like, it's in the difference between a lower limb amputee and an upper limb. If you have a long limb as an upper. There's so much less that's limited than a, if you like if you're missing a single leg, your range of motion is dr dramatically cut. So if you're an upper and you have a longer limb, so you're it's what's called a BE, a below elbow, you're normally gonna have a lot better time adjusting everything because it sucks having missing a hand, but it's a lot easier to get around. Although real quick though, the prosthetic foot has to be way better than anything you could do for your hand, right? Like what can you do for and, your hand? Oh, they have crazy. They have ones you can control with your mind now. They literally have electrodes where you can move their hands and grab stuff so like driving, like driving everything. Oh yeah, everything. Um, it's incredible. Because back in the day, just oh, it's in my nuts. lifetime. So you'll probably appreciate. Maybe you'll find this interesting. I have a distinct memory. One of the earliest memories I have in childhood was my family went to Israel in 1984, 85, and 86. When my dad had a certain job, I was five, six, and seven years old. That was mm -hmm. the last time I went to Israel, so I don't have a lot of recollection of it. But on one of those trips, I believe the second trip, we stayed at this place called the Veilon. It was like a, I don't know, it was like a big hotel resort kind of place. And I'll never forget it. I was like five years old, and I met this little boy, and he came up to me, and we were like the same age. And 
I noticed that he had blood on his shirt, completely unrelated to the rest of it, but that's mm-hmm. just what my mind recalled. And I was like, oh, he has blood on his shirt or, or some sort of stain. And then I looked and saw he was missing his hand. Mm-hmm. And I had, the, I think, a pretty normal reaction for a five or six year old. I don't think I freaked out to his face. Yeah. I think I kept it together. Yeah. But when I walked away, maybe I didn't, who knows, I was five or six years old, I'm sure my poker face wasn't great. I, I mean, I wept. I went yeah. upstairs and just cried my eyes out to my mom. Like, I couldn't believe it. I had the same reaction a year later or so when I met a, a person, and again, now in 2017, I don't know any of the correct terms. I don't know all the correct terms. An albino person. Yeah. Um, when I went to camp. I think that's still in. I think that. I think it's still, still a term. It's albino, still correct, right? We're about to. You're about skin, to get to, someone with a skin pigmentation <laughs> concern. I have no idea. Yeah, sure. Let's <laughs> go with that way, one. Yeah. Someone who had white skin and a similar reaction. I went home, lied mm-hmm. to my mom. I didn't understand. I don't know if it came from fear. I'm a very sensitive person. I don't mm-hmm. know if it came from sadness. Yeah. But I will never forget the first time I saw someone who was missing a hand. And it's so interesting to think about mm-hmm. that little boy now probably has technology to where they have a hand of some sort and it's, are able to do things. Oh, it's yeah. The stuff they make is amazing. Like they, ha- yeah. The stuff that's gonna come in the next decade, I legitimately think they're already getting stuff where they augment it into the bone on certain things, where they drill into your bone and they attach uh, metal sockets where they can attach it straight into your bone. It, the stuff they have is insane. It, we're in the we're in the fledgling stages. And they're already having stuff that's to the point where we have people competing, like a uh, bad example, but Oscar Restorius, he competed in the Olympics. I mean, we, ha- we should talk about Oscar Restorius. Yeah, I can compare it to him a lot. <laughs> because they're involved in that. Oh, the, the, bl- the blades, yeah. The blades. Yeah. Like, oh, Oscar, those legs. Like, you, you kill your girl too. I'm like, nope. Nope, definitely not. Quite the opposite. Yep. Love that's my girl. A, exactly. So, what was, first of all, wait, hold on. The story has all happened after your thing, though, right? Yeah. He killed his girl after. Yeah. All right, that kind of helps, I guess. Yeah. Because had it been the other way, you probably would have loved that dude. You would have thought yeah. he was the shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it would have been like, are you serious? It's like, ooh. So whereas, I guess I guess everyone already all, by the time you were in this boat, everyone already knew he was yeah. a piece of shit. Yeah. Exactly. But people do see it, and that's interesting. For a lot of people, the only experience they ever have is thinking about Oscar stories. He pulled the ultimate cripple card. Yeah, that was the ultimate. He tried pulling it. It didn't work. It almost worked. People saw through it. It was like... It, yeah, like he cried in court. Did he, he take his legs off? Yeah, he said he, he said he felt vulnerable without his legs. I'm like, you don't shoot through a door because you feel vulnerable. And for the record, for anyone who's wondering about that, that is a vintage lawyer move. When my, when my brother-in-law's killer was on trial, and I call him that because not only was he drunk when he driving the car and killed my brother-in-law, but he also ran from the scene of the crime while his friends died. When he went to trial, he's already out of jail, when he went to trial for the three kids that died, he was dressed in a huge overfitting suit and glasses when he had never needed glasses. So they will, it is a known thing in court, that they will do anything to make you look more lovable and sad. So I do remember when the story took his legs off in court. Um, anyways, yeah. so let's let's get let's move back to you. Yeah. Getting your your stuff together and deciding what you were going to do with your life. So now you can't go to the Air Force anymore. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so you could have still. Uh, they there. I if I honestly if I could have fought it, honestly if I wanted to I could have fought it. But my biggest thing is knowing what I wanted to do in the Air Force. I like being a firefighter, but I didn't. It wasn't my forever thing. And it was knowing that 
let's say I made it through to what I was what I wanted to make it through. If my foot broke when I was overseas and I let my guys down, it's like no, I can't do that. Like I'm, I wouldn't even if I made it through, I wouldn't want to be put in that situation where someone could get injured with my equipment failing, which is a very real possibility. So if you had a limitation because of your physical situation, that exactly. Exactly. So you decided to move on from that. Yeah. And how quickly did you say, like, I'm going to be involved in athletics and coaching and things of that nature? So the coaching was much later on. Right right away was I want to be a competitor. So I got my I got out of the hospital after my second time being in, which is around New Year's Christmas. And I really hit it, rolled in the gym in my wheelchair, and I started working out. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do the CrossFit Open. And so I did it. And uh, this, company, this thing called Wheelwad, it's uh, run by Chris Downberg out of Canada. And he's a monster wheel. He's, we call him wheelies. The guy, anyone like a wheelchair athlete, they call us normies. Well, they call you normies. <laughs> Norm, bipedals, people walk around, all that, right, right, right. all that fun stuff. And so uh, they put it up, and it was just adaptive versions of the open. So the CrossFit Open is this thing that happens every year, where they release workouts, and you do it. Everyone does it to some standard, and you compare yourself across the world, see where you rank, see if you can go to the regionals or the games. Wheelchair? Yeah, I did mine in a wheelchair. Against, uh, because, uh, I, I didn't have my prosthetics yet, against other wheeled athletes. And I remember having never done this before, I played sixth in the world against some of the best wheeled athletes. And I remember. Uh, what kind of competitions is it, by the way? Like, what are you doing? We're doing everything. We're doing cro- CrossFit. So, like. Yeah. Clean and jerk, snatching. We're doing it from the hip. We're doing it. It's most, most of it's muscled. You're doing some muscle snatch and muscle clean and jerk. You're doing pull ups. You're doing your version of like toes bar or knees the bar or ab crunches, some your variation to your limit. That, that makes sense. Now, real quick, a, yeah. a pull up, chin up is when your wrist face you, yeah. correct? Pull up is the other direction. Exactly. So yeah. pull up is one which I can do one. Exactly, yeah. Pull ups I can do like five. That's fine? I mean, sorry, right? Yeah, yeah, I said it right. No, no, chin no. ups I can do five. Yeah. Pull ups I can do about one. Exactly, yeah. How, yeah. Many can, how many are you doing in a competition like that? Uh, well, strict, I can only do like 15. What does strict mean? So no kipping. So you have CrossFit. Everyone makes fun of CrossFit pull-ups. Like kipping and called butterfly. So it's using your hips to generate force. Got it. Okay. As and opposed to just j- dead hang. Dead pulling, hang. Pulling bar going all the way. your body completely hang. Exactly. And you can do 15. Like yeah. That. All right. That's still good. Okay. And, and what other kind of stuff are you doing in this? Uh, we're doing sprints in the wheelchair, sled drags, tire flips. How, how much arm uh, How much arm work does it do to do like serious wheelchair? Oh, it's insane. It's you like uh, so I got a really bad tennis elbow, and I didn't know why until I went to a uh, a nice gym. My coach was like, "You got to realize you're overtraining your triceps because you're just you moving your every day." Exactly. You and then from, were you doing tries before that? Well, it wasn't that. It was the fact that doing the wheelchair when you're moving the chi- the, the wheels that's that's your tricep. That's all no, no, my point is, so before that, were you doing try work? Yeah, with like like push-ups and stuff like that. Regular. Exactly. And now you're doing it all day, every day. Exactly. And it got to the point where I cl- I did a rope climb one day. And I got down and I couldn't unbend my arms. It hurt so bad. And I was trying to figure out what was going on because I'd never had it happen. And it was just from overworking the muscle. And then I, I found a uh, massage therapist, a sports massage therapist who knew what to do. He broke up my triceps. He broke all the muscles down. And I found as long as I recovered correctly, I could train the way I wanted to train. Wait, he broke down all the muscle fiber? Yeah, exactly. Tight. Exactly, yeah. It, it's not comfortable. If you're, if you're in a sports massage and it's comfortable, you're doing it wrong. Bro, a really intense sports massage where they're getting that muscle fiber, like and you can start picturing what they're doing. Yeah. It's I need I need one bag. You can tell oh. when you get really tight and it's Exactly. It's the 
It's the best and the worst feeling it's ever. It's the best and the worst feeling. I, when, I, when I started going to my trainer, when I, before I, my boy Joe Trainer, shout out to J Train, uh, J Train Wellness, Wellness or Fitness. Just look up J Train on Instagram. <laughs> and my man Joe Trainer, when he started breaking me down when I get in there, he'd always do the same thing. Like, same damn line every time from Joe. You're tighter than you're, you're tighter than 18 virgins. Mm -hmm. He always said every time I came in, and he really got satisfaction. And there is something weird and homoerotic about it because he really got satisfaction out of breaking me down. Oh yeah. So they're wincing and kind of crying like a little bitch on the ground. Oh yeah. And if, and, and you're right. If you're really doing it, and then it's funny when you try to then go get a really just plain massage. I think I'll like I'll like it. And yeah. At the end, you feel like you didn't do anything. Exactly. That's my biggest thing. It's like, and you get these guys like, oh, I'm not gonna let a guy massage me. It's gay. I'm like. Yeah, right. Are you kidding me? When he got like my masseuse or my massage was this guy who's a he was literally he's a he was a marine who got out, was a diesel mechanic, so he had nice strong hands and he ruined my life every time I went, but it was the best. I felt so great afterwards. Now, I will tell you the truth though. What? If I can choose man or woman and either one can do a sports massage. Yeah. And I'm like choosing at a random place, I do lean woman. I need someone. I need someone who. I, you don't think they'll be able to get in hard enough. Exactly. You want the hardest possible. Yeah, I want the biggest dude they have to come in there and break <laughs> my life. Just ruin me, ruin me. <laughs> well, because in the end, you end up feeling really so much like better. You got it. And it, it, I, and with one of those, you feel it for a couple of days. It will feel like you did something for mm -hmm. sure. You can have soreness from massage for yeah. a day or two. Oh. But I do love when like a woman does look like Joe has this woman who's awesome. And she climbs up on the table with her hands on the, mm -hmm. on the bars and, that. and just digs into your back. Anyway, um, so yeah, that is interesting though. Like how jacked did your triceps get just from real wheelchair stuff? Oh, my arms like that's the biggest thing everyone noticed. My arms got so much bigger so quick because I'm so upper body dominant in what I do that my arm. That's where I gained most of my size. That's the biggest thing everyone noticed. I gained so much size in my arms and my neck and my uh, uh, shoulders. That's where I gained everything. It was ridiculous. It was just from so much training, constant stress, constant recovery, break everything, and just never stopping. And then having some, I mean, shout out to Ben Alderman over at uh, CrossFit Iron Mile in Sacramento. The dudes, they can coach. And that's what that's the biggest thing that helped me out there. They got me, they were truly getting me started in that stuff. And they knew what to do. They were so eager to learn. Because how often do you have a dude roll into a wheelchair, roll into your gym like, hey, I want to do this. Most gyms don't have experience with that, and so he, his big thing was, "Yeah, let's do this." Now, is that something you do for other, with other people? Now, do you work with other athletes? Yeah, so of varying degrees of um, yeah physical uh, issues. So with Crossroads Adaptive Athletic Alliance, so they actually we we coach seminars around the country and around the world. We go to gyms or hospitals or wherever you wherever you bring us out to, and we coach individuals on how to coach adaptive athletes. And it's not exactly a this if this person comes in, this is what you do. It's more of an approach and a guideline, and then a, a resource then where they're, they're now they can now know who to call if they have any questions. So anything from MSCP to paralyzations to amputees, whatever you need, TBIs. We know someone who's done it, who's worked out with it. We can get you in the right hands. And that's what we come in. We, t we show you the resources. We show you the basics. We show you, yeah. So if someone's listening right now who has those issues or has a loved one with those issues, how would they reach out to try to get a hold of you guys? So uh, Crossroads Adaptive Athletic Alliance. Just look it up. Yeah, it's uh, they, uh, I think it's Crossroads AAA on Instagram. Is That's the best. That's one of the best ways. You reach out. Sarah Olson runs it. I mean, they're just great people. There's a true passion for it. And everyone who does it, we're just trying to help. We don't care. And then there's also CrossFit has the adaptive cert, adaptive certification. And that's run by Kevin Ogar and, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just spacing the other guy's name. 
but it's another great program. It's you can now get certified in CrossFit in adaptive coaching, which is amazing. It's such a good step up, and it's run by Kevin, which is or with Kevin as one of the best guys in the business for adaptive athletics. Um, tell me, is there anyone who pops in your head as having the most amazing story of the people you've got to know, like either either their physical ailment was such that you were like mind blown at what they're capable of doing, or the story of how they got there, you, when you heard it, you were just like, whoa. My biggest one is, uh, I, was, I think it was, I wanna say it was Iowa. Uh, this girl, Siri, I met her. And when I met her, she was, I mean, she, you could tell she, she had uh, cerebral palsy. So you, there was a little, you could tell there's something a little bit different. And we were, I was asking her, she had CP. I'm like, okay, well, you move pretty good. You're moving barbells. It's pretty good. So what do you have questions? Like, no, no, I just wanted to meet you. I wanted to see what you guys were coaching. I wanted to be around other adaptive athletes. And so I asked her a story. And she said, I think, I want to say when she was 14, the doctors told her she was never going to leave her hospital bed because her CP had gotten so bad where she couldn't do anything. And so I was like, that's, well, that's insane for one. And then she was flipping through the channels one day in the hospital doing nothing. And she saw the CrossFit games. And she's like, I want to do that. And so she just started doing little things in her bed, what she could, like lifting her arms, moving around, lifting books, whatever she could. And slowly but surely, she worked her way till she got out of the bed. And now she's four years later in a gym, working out, crushing it. In a gym, I mean, moving barbells, moving weight, have, living a very active, happy life. And you can see it had such a positive impact on her life. And it's amazing. Like, it's one of those things, I don't get emotional about a lot of things, but that's one thing. It, it hits me in the feels every time I think about it. How old is she? I want to say she's probably 19 or 20 right now. She's super young. Wow. Um, now, you're, you're, you're moving to Jersey. Yeah. To work at a gym. Yeah, uh, Blue Titan Fitness and Self-Defense. It's a, I want to say fitness, so it's CrossFit, strength and conditioning. That's where I run that side. I run the strength and then the CrossFit side. How, how soon are you going to be there? I've actually been coaching the last three weeks. Oh, you've already been there. Yeah, so I, I've known the owner for a while. And he needed a coach to come out, so I was like, "Okay, I got you, man." We, we've been on a few charities together. We run the state, or I'm, we're one of the members on the Stay Safe Foundation. One he started up, where we help veterans and LEOs who are struggling mentally or physically. LEO is law enforcement. Law enforcement officer, yeah. Who is struggling physically or mentally, and we just need help getting back on the right path. And that's where we come in. We get them to fitness, and just trying to help them out through that. We're peer mentors. Because we can relate on aspects that most people can't. And can people come in there and also and like it just get trained by you? Oh yeah, so the cro- so it's it's pure, well, I run classes. It's just a CrossFit or a strength and conditioning gym, and then the upstairs is Krav Maga, which is really self defense, and that's our biggest thing. Is we have some of the best instructors in the country out of our gym, who are monsters, and that's our big. I see, honestly, that's probably our biggest seller. And what what, what town is the gym in? Rockaway, New Jersey. Rockaway, New Jersey. Okay. Uh, Blue Titan Fitness and Self Defense, and just. The nice, it's truly a family. And that's what my biggest thing is. They were wondering how they can become better. And I came there and there's nothing I could do. It's all I could do is bring my expertise in CrossFit because they already had the family. They had the right vibe, the right people. It was just organizing it and figuring out the fitness side. Because the Krav the side for them is amazing. It was the fitness side where they needed a little help. And now that's that, what you're from. exactly. And now that it's there, it's amazing. Now, it's, obviously this is something I can tell you're very yeah. It's become a huge part of your life. Um, something that's important to you, being an adaptive athlete, uh, relating to other people, sharing stories, helping people. If I had met you, you said the, anniversary, the three year anniversary is coming up, mm-hmm. which means three years ago from this day, you had both feet. Yeah. And here you are three years later, you're 23. Yeah. 
and this is probably the thing you talk about most. Certainly yeah. with a microphone in your hand, someone asking you questions about your <laughs> life, it's what you're talking about. Exactly. If I had met you on a plane three years ago and been like, hey, I just want to interview you about your life, what would you have talked about? What, 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 who were you before you were this person? It was just three years ago, and I'm curious to know like who you were then. I, I mean, I was very similar. I mean, I was didn't do anything with charities. So I didn't know. I didn't. I mean, I was a kid. I mean, I was 21 years old. All I was thinking about was my girl, uh, my job, and not basically not fucking up. That was the biggest thing. Uh, I really loved Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I really loved uh, going out there doing that. I really enjoyed being a firefighter. I loved training for the job I was trying to get. It was. I'm gonna say it was just grinding for the job I wanted. Which was I, I, my goal in life was to be a combat controller. I never got. I, once again, I'm gonna put a, I never got to go uh, go to the course. Never got to try it. So nothing like that. It was a goal of mine to try and get there, which a lot of people say, and it's a 95% failure rate. So shout out to the guys who make What's it. What's a combat controller? So they're guys who get to go in. They're the first guys in who get to set up like airstrips, call in airstrikes. They go in with special operations units, uh, Air Force special tactics, and so the, like I brought him up earlier, Bobby Norman. He was actually, him and his team graduate from pararescue school in, I think, January. And to make it through that, they call it Superman School. It's, they're the best of the best when it comes to paramedics, medical, special operation, or special tactics, uh, paramedics, they're the best in the world. There's no one better. And it's a 95% failure rate. And he made it through. He was the guy who introduced me to CrossFit. And he's a guy like, we were only, we only got to hang out for the 10 months I was deployed. But it was, he's forever be impacted in my life just because I saw his drive and he failed out the first time he went through. And seeing the fire in his eyes, he says, I'm making it through the second time, which most people don't do. They're like, I'm not gonna put myself through that again. The sacrifices he made, and he's made it. He, I mean, he graduates in January. It's amazing to see that and just that kind of stuff. And I wanted that so bad. And knowing it was gonna, like I said earlier, would have broken me if I would have let it get to me. It was one thing, I just needed a new goal that was far enough, that was hard to get, but close enough to where I knew I would get it. And so now you were telling me what you do is, you just try to keep coming up with different challenges. Exactly. You're trying to, you're trying to climb the seven tallest peaks in the world. So that's that's much like, so that's- That's a few years down the road. Yeah, that's a few, that's a few years. The current goal right now is I run, uh, run Ironman uh, next September or October. I haven't run over two miles in like three, four years, so it's a- Yeah. Like you feel now, you got it. You got your. Well, I'm sure you meet someone who's had prosthetics for 15 years. Yeah. Is there ever someone who's like, who's like, yo, don't do it like that. Do it like this. Have you had anyone who's taken you under in, in life in that way? Not really, because w the thing is, the adaptive sports where it's new. It, it came around basically right when I got my legs. Uh, so this is really growing. Like, yeah, well, I'm considered. We're, I'm one of the few people where, well, I'm not OG, where I'm where I'm probably right towards the end of the OG adaptive athletes. And that's where the guys just really started picking up. I got right in the tail end of that. And so I'm one of the, not, I'm definitely not one of the beginning guys, but I'm close to them. And so it's that kind of thing. So it's, I'm one of the guys people come to for that what kind of stuff. When you first showed up, like when you first played in any sort of game in a wheelchair, mm -hmm. where there, there had to be things you just didn't know yet, right? When like you're trying to get around. And what other sort of games like did you play at first? With, like, what were the first competitions you did? Was it all CrossFit? Did you ever do anything else? Like Strongman. So I did the CrossFit competition, and then I actually got my prosthetics uh, eight months after my amputation. 
And then the first day I got them, uh, I went out and deadlifted 365 and snapped both the feet in half, and I go get new feet. In my you snap them, and so that means you literally are doing it while they snap. Yeah. And you fall to the like, were you okay? Or is it oh no, I was fine. So yeah, so I picked up, I picked up the weight, and all you hear is pop, pop, and it's both feet snapping. And I dropped it like, oh. And then as I walked, I noticed there was a lot of bend in the feet now. Got it. Got so it. yeah, I had to go get new ones. And you told me how many different prosthetics did you go through? I went through 14 of those feet in 11 months. How does your insurance company feel about that? They were upset. They did not like that. No. Those are not cheap. No. How much did they cost? About twenty thousand dollars a foot. I told them to get me. I told. I kept telling them I don't want these feet. Get me better ones. I'm going to break them. They kept telling me, well, maybe you should slow down and stop. I'm like, no. This there's a reason why I didn't have to go to rehab. There's a reason why I didn't need your help in learning how to walk in prosthetics. It's because I stayed physically fit and I pushed myself and I didn't listen to your your limits you tried imposing on me. So you wanted to keep pushing yourself. So eventually they got you ones that. Yes, they got me the the BioDap VersaFoot, which is the one I'm in currently. And so I can weight lift like a, so I, like I said, I'm a bilateral Symes empty, so, and I can back squat below parallel 440, which is, uh, yeah, it's more than a lot of people can back squat. Not in terms of, the, in the field I'm in, there's a lot of people can back squat way heavier. But in terms of back squat, it's relatively good for me. Well, what, what's out there for you to do in life that's still, that's somewhat annoying because of this? Like, is, is showering a pain in the ass? Is there anything out there that is inherently just gonna always be slightly even though your life is stairs stairs I hate I just I'm a big boy I get hot really easy and just stairs for some reason they get me super hot walking up them is it extra work than it would be normally yeah because it's a lot of hips and quads then it's not a lot it was just no ankle so uh stairs and I'm not saying stairs my biggest thing just because I'm not paying it like uh I went to a tattoo shop I went to uh what's the what's the Kings Avenue tattoo as I'm walking down their stairs, I didn't realize the back of their, their stairs, they cut in a little bit. And so my heel got stuck in there. And I also, I couldn't move on the stairs. And I, I'm for like two minutes, I'm like, why can't I move my leg? And I was, I was trying to rip my leg. Apparently the heel got stuck under the ledge and I couldn't see it. So that it's stuff like that happens all the time. Well, when you say, you have ankles though, right? Or the ankles gone? Ankles are gone. God, ankles are gone. So that bone that I have right here. Yeah, it's gone. Ankle, that's what's right above that. Yeah. And so inherently for stairs, you have to focus more on quads. Yes. And by the way, stairs are pain for everybody. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we, were talking, we were talking earlier about like underrated physical things that you don't count on being hard. For stairs, like when you go to someone, when you go to someone in New York who has a four flight walk up and you don't do that every day, so it's brutal. It's always brutal. I'm not going to your house. Right. It means I'm not. I get it. I know. I, oh, your rent is cheap. Yeah, I know. No one wants to walk a four flight. Yeah, so, uh-huh. better get a stair lift. Um, what, what is the talked about really not liking pity and too much sympathy and things of that nature is there anything though any sort of and i'm not talking about on a deep level like getting to help people meeting my friends i know those perks obviously have made an impact in your life but have there been any other more superficial perks that you have gotten from the sympathy <laughs> and things of that nature i wouldn't say sympathy but a handicapped parking placard is the shit literally i don't i don't have to pay a parking meters now and also what about like you know, a big event like a Oh yeah, I don't have to pay for t- I don't have to pay for a ticket or for spaces to park. I'm like, hey, I'm I'm crippled. Let me go to the front. I don't think that's the proper nomenclature. <laughs> yes, and, and you can park close to anything. Oh yeah, it's amazing. And then and then also I guess like baseball games and stuff. They have those seats. There are specific seats designated okay. that are pretty good. I feel like a dick taking those seats. That's that's where I'll draw the line. Like, oh okay, there's. Oh yeah, I guess you can because you're not going uh, to the wheelchair. Oh yeah, and, okay. I think that annoys that was when people use the handicap stall 
It's like I have trouble going from a seated position from a toilet to standing up without a railing on a toilet, just on the toilet because you're in an awkward, you're in a compromised position. So like the episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, it is actually annoying. Oh yeah. It's the most annoying, like happened today in the airport. I literally had to wait for this dude while he was texting on his phone. I could hear him talking, not doing anything. Do you ever, yo, if I were you, I would, and I was waiting. There's, and it gets to be, you get it. Because if someone walks in, there's no one there. Yeah. You understand why they peed in there real quick. Yeah. I, I, right? I oh I, yeah, completely, can't. completely. Go ahead. But if you're waiting for a few minutes, I might be tempted to be like, bro, you better be disabled when you come oh out Oh my here. God. I, I, I was tempted to slide on my legs under there. I'm like, come on, bro. Come on, man. Just get out of there. What about meeting anyone cool? Have you gotten to meet anyone who really, and I don't mean friends or people like that. I mean like, just like celebrities at a charity event or anything of that nature. Uh, I would say just the CrossFit athletes, CrossFit Games athletes. A lot of them, they're so humble in what they do. It's like, a, I'm going to say Sam Dancer is probably one of the biggest influences on me. Just such a good individual. Him and his wife, Jen Dancer, such good individuals. They're big in the CrossFit world. They're such good people. And uh, being around them has truly bettered my life. And, I mean, they're just good people. And, you're, and your fans. You're yeah, a fan. I'm, a, I'm a fanboy of CrossFit. So being around them and actually being able to call them friends now is amazing. It's just they're great people, and people like that. It's just I, was like, I don't think I've really met anyone too famous. I, I'm probably gonna someone's probably come up like, "Hey, Dick." What about the ESPN does games too, right? But ES- I think it's like do they do Invictus games or like that? Invictus games, right? Any interest in stuff like that? Uh, not really. I mean, I know a lot. I feel like that's more for the war fighters, the guys who actually got hurt overseas. Like, I, my big part is I try not to attend events where I will get mixed up where there's actual people who got injured overseas. That's my biggest thing. We is, talked about this. This is very interesting to me. Yeah. Because you are a veteran. Yeah. You, I mean, you, 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 were, you served. Yeah. But at the same time, you, as you put it to me, you were like, I didn't get hurt serving. I got, ser- I got hurt being a drunken dickhead. Exactly. So exactly. That, that must create some awkward situations where people don't know they're trying to figure out your story. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And then do you have to explain to them, like, no, 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 it's not, it's not that. No, yeah, immediately say, they're like, hey, were you, they'll ask if I served, like, yes, I served, but if you're asking about my legs, I got hurt stateside, I did not get hurt overseas. And that's a, that's an interesting situation, that delineation to have to tell someone. Exactly, they're like, oh, wait, wait, and then immediately it's always, what happened? And I'm like, I was a 21-year-old kid, I got drunk and fell onto a train track. It's the easiest way to say it. <laughs> and, and they're like, and they're like, are you being serious? I'm like, yeah, I got a tattoo train on my forearm, yeah. Where's the train on your forearm? You gotta be able to look at him directly at it. <laughs> you gotta stare yeah, right down the belly of the beast. Exactly. So, um, you told me something earlier that I thought was very interesting too. You have a Facebook group where you guys talk about weirdos <laughs> who are like deviants who are kind of turned on by uh, amputees. Oh, yeah, they're called, div- they're called devotees. Devotees. Is that really what they're called? Yeah. And tell me, tell, tell me about this. They're just weirdos. Like, uh, for me, like, it's a bunch of people. For some reason, I don't know what is with me, but I get people from the Middle East that tag me in, like, pictures of feet and, like, just weird shit and then send me messages, action, like, pictures of my stump. They'll send me, like, they're like, hey, I'll send you 20 bucks. You take a pictures of, like, you and your underwear and your stumps and, like, just weird stuff like that. Did you ever do it? No. I asked the wife. I'm like, hey, baby, can I get in stump porn? And she's like, no. I'm like, it wouldn't even be sad. Like, I'd be stepping in people. Like, it's not even that bad. It's like, no, no. How common is this? Oh, the girls get, I mean, if you're a girl, if you're like Zach Roll, he's a, you've probably seen him. He's that giant dude in a wheelchair who like does toes bar walks, handstand. Like he's big in the fitness world. Uh, he gets crazy messages, and like the girls, they get nasty messages. Like it's nasty. People want to see them doing nasty things. Exactly. With their, like, I don't understand how we get there. Like, I, listen, I'm, I'm very sexually open. Yeah. Whatever you want. 
but I just don't understand where your brain goes that like you that's what you're mixing together. Like, I don't even like understand the idea of mixing food and sex for yeah. example. So like that's not my thing. But wanting to mix amputations and sex is so odd to me. I don't get it. Trust me, it's like ah. I don't understand it. But apparently, people are just like I don't know if they like the feeling of power you might get from knowing this person may not be able to do anything, or just that, that's an interesting. Uh, maybe a power trip, or the fact that you know you're with someone who looks different, and you know not everyone gets to do something like that, like that kind of weird fetish, or you just like scars. But people are like, or this like, so that you're, you're gonna learn that. Well, you might not learn this, but uh. Your stumps or wherever it's covered gets smelly because it's all you get. It's basically a giant shoe. I was going to ask you, is there anything gross about this? Oh, movie? it gets so smelly. Like, and what do you do to avoid this? I got to wash. I wash my liners every single day. Wash, make sure I wash my legs really nice. Make sure I clean everything out. Well, that same caveat. So you clean inside the prosthetic? Yeah. With I, what? You have like wipes? Just alcohol wipes, yeah. And, and, and real quick, what is the shower situation? Because you don't want to wear I'm on my stumps. I, I, can, I can walk around on my stumps. So I, you, you just walk into your shower? Yeah. And you don't slip? I have slipped. I, I I have I make sure I have grippy pads on the floor because I've made the mistake of oh I have my balance and then I've ate it hard in the shower. You don't have a handle or anything? Though? Not really, no. Because yeah, that, that I would think that would be a pain, and then you get out. Yeah. And like I don't know, it seems uncomfortable walking on the Sometimes floor. Sometimes it is. Like, Sometimes it can be. I, just, I make sure I got sure footing and a dry spot to step. I just have to make sure my stumps aren't wet when I because I have gone on ice skates and ate it. So. Well, because you were. I stepped. I had wet stumps, stepped on tile, and just slipped. <laughs> yeah, I go down hard. And does your wife still take amusement? In this? Oh, she laughs her ass off. Tells me I deserve it. Keeps me honest. How, how awesome was she throughout like the whole thing? She was my rock. That's the biggest thing. Like my favorite, my favorite memory. I like to tell people is uh, one day. I think it's probably three or four months after my accident. I remember which I come home after being at like, the gym for like three hours, and she's like, "Hey, baby, can you uh, vacuum?" I'm like. Like, dude, you know how hard it is for me to vacuum in my wheelchair? And she's like, Logan, you just worked out for three fucking hours. You can figure out how to fucking vacuum. I'm like, okay, you're right. She didn't cut me any slack. And I love I love her for it. And that's what I mean. There's a reason why she's my wife. It's, I, she truly kept me sane throughout this whole thing. I, th- I think that I always like to ask people the story of how their wife keeps them in check. Whether it's someone who's had every gift handed to them or gone through something hard, I tend to find that the real ones... If it's a real, if it's the woman who loves you, they're not impressed by your BS. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't get me wrong. She is, and she'll tell other people when you're not around yeah. how amazing you are. But to your face, she doesn't care what you just did yesterday or how many accolades you got. Yeah. She's going to be husband you. She knows I already have a big head, and she's like, yeah, I'm not giving you any more ego. And then on top of that, she already knew you had a big head before. Exactly. And then on top of it, people start praising you and telling you how great you are. She hates it. She hates it. I, I hate being told I'm an inspiration too, but it's like that kind of stuff. I always laugh because I know how much it annoys her when people tell me that. She's like, he's going to not he's gonna not stop smiling for like three hours. Yeah, but, there are, but there are some. Where do you draw the line? Because there are some people where there's no denying that they are an inspiration. So there's like a di- the guy who comes back from war mm-hmm. and has no limbs and somehow does all these incredible things that you don't even understand how it physically does. Yeah. Right? Where do you draw that line where you're like, well, that is an inspiration? Everyday things. If they're doing an everyday thing, it's not inspiration. If they're doing things like uh, Todd Love doing the Spartan, uh, he's missing, he's basically at his hips and has one arm, one good arm, and he did like 10 mile Spartan on his half a body. It's, 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 it's hard to not be impressed by that. Exactly. That's impressive. Or Zach Roll uh, benching 500 pounds with, he has no, he's just upper body. All these monsters out here doing these, like uh, Michael Mills pulled a semi truck in a wheelchair. 
It's like, yeah, that stuff's that's an inspiration. That's impressive. My buddy Jason getting uh, groceries out of the car is not. No, no, he's not an inspiration. He's an inspirational dude. I, right, I like right. I like to ride him. I, every time I see him, like you're such you're my inspiration, man. Like you're a beautiful individual. <laughs> um, and tell people one more time how they can uh, find you and, and, and be kept abreast of all the things you're doing. So my biggest thing is I update uh, my Instagram out, uh, Mr. Mr. Dot Footloose. It's, uh, that's my biggest one. No devotees. Yeah. No, no, no DMs. No weird DMs. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's not do that. But then, yeah, I'm starting up a vlog pretty quick. I don't know when that will get up running, but we'll see what happens to kind of document my journey of trying to start this Ironman up and get started because that's going to be my biggest challenge to date is trying to knock this out. Well, listen, I'm glad I met you, man. Glad we sat next to each other. Yeah, thank you, man. This has been a great opportunity. Thank you. Fun times. We'll catch you guys next time. Go follow Mr. Footloose on Instagram, Roseburg Interviews. Catch you later this week.